you take your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter number 17, we're going to look at a few verses. Matthew, chapter 17, and let's look at verse number 14. Matthew, chapter 17, beginning with verse number 14. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you don't have a Bible, it should be behind me. Matthew 17, verse 14. If you're there, say, I'm there. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you, and how long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here and to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Just for a few moments, we're going to look at Matthew 17. I don't have a title. We're just going to look at it verse by verse and see what we can learn. Father, we thank you for this <clears throat> opportunity. <clears throat> that we have together in your name today. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our ears, that we would hear your word, and that everything that we do, Lord, may glorify you. And uh, we thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I pray, Lord, that not only would we be found faithful, but we would be found fruitful as well. And if you believe that, church, would you shout a great big amen? You may be seated. Now, we're going to look at this story just for a few moments and uh, learn a few things about this story. A few weeks ago, I think it was at the beginning of the month, uh, most of America celebrated the Super Bowl. Some people are more into the Super Bowl than others, but there are some groups that met and small groups. They met all throughout the city and they ate and fellowshiped and had a wonderful time at the Super Bowl. Now, whether you like the Super Bowl or not is really irrelevant because I think that you can learn something from the Super Bowl. And uh, you see a bunch of guys working hard. And uh, you see a particular team winning the Super Bowl. And, you know, I thought that was great that we can celebrate a team winning. <clears throat> Those guys worked very hard. Sometimes I think that we forget that a team has a coach and they could not get there without a coach. How many would agree with me? They couldn't get there without a coach. And I think that, that, I think that applies to our life. I think there comes a time in our life that we need a coach in life. We need somebody to come alongside of us and speak into our life. We need somebody to come alongside of us and help us in this journey that we call life. I am convinced that as I read Scripture that you are not called to do life alone. 
You're not called to do it alone. You're not called to be isolated. You're not, try, you're not even called to try to fix your own problems. And we have a tendency as men and women to isolate ourselves and to fix our problems. We don't want to ask anybody for help because we don't want to be a burden to anyone. We don't want to come off like we're weak. We don't want to be a burden. So most of the time, we just say to ourselves and we try to fix our own problems. We deal with our own issues. And all at the same time, I'm convinced that we're hurting inside. Because you are not called to do life alone, I believe that there comes a time in life that you need a coach in life. You could call that word mentor. Coach, mentor, advisor, helper, whatever word you want to use. But I believe there comes a time in your life that you may have the ability to do something, but you don't have the expertise to do it. And there's a difference. You may have the will to do something, but that doesn't mean you have the wisdom to do it. Now listen to pastor. You may have the will to do it, but that doesn't mean you have the wisdom to do it. You may have the ability to do it, but you may not have the expertise to do it. You may even have the opportunity to do it, but that doesn't mean you know how to do it. And I think that sometimes we become discouraged in church because we got more enthusiasm than we got knowledge. And if you are progressing in God in just enthusiasm, you will be disappointed. Because if you're going to make progression in your spiritual life, it is a combination of enthusiasm, but it's also a combination of knowledge. You see, you know the story in Acts chapter I think nine, eight, somewhere around there, the Apostle Paul, he was very enthusiastic. What was he enthusiastic about? He was enthusiastic about killing Christians. But he didn't have the right knowledge. His knowledge was wrong. And it wasn't until he repented and found Jesus on the road to Damascus that his mind changed. He had the right knowledge. And then he coupled his knowledge with the, his enthusiasm, and then he changed the world. You see, my friends, it's not about just being willing. It's about having wisdom. It's not about just being available. It's about having the expertise to do it. It's not about being willing to do an opportunity. It's about knowing how to do the opportunity and seize the opportunity when it's before you. And sometimes we become discouraged because we do it in our own power, we do it in our will. We take opportunities, but it, we don't have the skill job to do it. We don't have the skill set to do it. And we become discouraged. And I, I feel as though, as your pastor, that, that if we're going to progress in God, it's, it's a combination of both. It's a combination of having the right knowledge and having enthusiasm. It's expertise and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is not taught. It's caught. I mean, that's something that's birthed out of you. Maybe you want to call it passion. Whatever you want to call it, it's very important. I'm reminded, one of my favorite, favorite scriptures in the New Testament that I often read, and I want to actually, I don't know if I'll ever become this person, but I read it, and sometimes I read it over and over. It's my life scripture. It's, it's something that I long to be, and uh, I'm far from it, but uh, it's a powerful scripture. 
and it's found in Acts chapter 18 and verse 24 and 25. I want you to pay attention to the wording of this scripture. Acts chapter 18 and verse 24 and 25. Acts 18, 24, 25. And listen to this particular story about Apollos, a man that you don't hear of often, but a powerful man of God. And the scripture uh, gives us a description of this man. Acts 18, verse 24. Now there was a certain man named Apollos, born of Alexander, an, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, who came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Do you see the characteristics of this man? This man is mighty. This man is powerful. This man is fervent. He's excited. He's passionate. But not only is he excited and passionate, this man spoke accurately the things of the Lord. It's having the right knowledge coupled with your passion and your fervency. I've pastored for many years now, and I see this a lot. Reminds me of the parable of the sower, where people receive the word of God with joy, and then the cares of life come and choke out the word. They're joyful, but they don't last the journey. They, don't, they haven't let the truth resonate in the soil of their heart. I've seen people come to the front, and they'll confess and have crocodile tears running down their face. I know they love God. I know they want to change. But yet, the change don't last. They receive the word with joy, but they don't live it out. It, it, it's not, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't pe penetrate the essence of who they are. It's more than just emotionalism. It's, it's letting truth penetrate your heart and your life. And this man here was a man that's fervent, a man that's passionate, but he's also accurate. He had the right knowledge. How many will raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to be that type of person tonight? I, I, is there anybody that would raise your hand and say, I want to be that type of person? I, I long to be that type of person. You see, I, I, I think it's important that you see, we can, have, we can have the will to do something, but that doesn't mean we have the wisdom to do it. We can have the ability to do it, but that doesn't mean you know the expertise or you have the expertise to do it. You see, you may have the opportunity to do it, but that doesn't mean you have the skill set to do it. And that is why I believe that every one of us, no matter how old you are, you need to be a mentor or a coach to someone. Or you, you need to have somebody speaking into your life. You remember what Paul said to Timothy? He said to the, young, he said to the older women, I desire the older women to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. Uh, I, I desire you to teach these younger women. And the same with older men. Take these younger men and teach them how to be a husband. And as, you know, as we progress in the Lord, I see less of that. I see more people attending church and less people mentoring people, speaking into people. And Jesus took 12 people. He didn't take 5,000. He took 12 and spoke into them. And those people changed the world. Those people changed the world. Jesus was the master mentor. He was the master coach. It, wouldn't you believe? I mean, how many would believe me that Jesus is the master mentor? We're still reading about his stuff 
2,000 years later. He is the master mentor. And listen, I, I remember sitting in class a few years ago and our teacher said, you're not serious about growing in the Lord until you have a mentor speaking in your life and you have three people you're networking with that's outside of your box. For instance, if I'm a pastor, I should be networking with other pastors who are doing it better than I can, who will help me to grow and see things that I can't see. I have blind spots. I need somebody to speak into my life. I can't see how I preach. I don't know how I respond at times. I need somebody to speak into my life. And I promise you, if you want to progress in God, you have to have someone in your life that will tell you things that your spouse may not want to tell you or your best friend may not want to tell you. That you need somebody that will speak truth into your life and say, listen, if you're going to progress in God, maybe we need to tweak this area and work on this area so that we go forth. I believe that one of the greatest blessings in walking with Jesus is having a teachable spirit. Learning to be teachable. Having an open spirit and learning to be teachable. You see, God puts talent in you, but a coach or a mentor will pull out the talent. God puts gifts and callings inside of you, but a coach or a mentor will pull it out. And sometimes we don't even know the gold that's in this inside of us. Some of us don't even know the riches that's on the inside of you. Some of you don't even know the gifts that on the, that's on the inside of you. Some of you don't even know what's on the inside of you because all you have heard is somebody tell you what you cannot do and you're not worthy and you can never do it. And we've been beat down. We've been rejected by our parents and rejected by family members, rejected by uh, people that said that they would love us and never leave us. We go through life hurting. And sometimes we take that baggage to the next season of our life. And sometimes we don't even see the gold that's on the inside of us. And that is why you need somebody to come in your life and see something that you don't see in you. They need to see the gold that's on the inside of you. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, every one of you that's under the sound of my voice, you got gifts and callings on the inside of you that most people don't even, they're not even aware of. They're not even aware of. Can you imagine what we could do as a church if all of us would just walk in their, our gifts and our callings? If all of us would leave the baggage behind, if we would just leave the rejection behind, if we would just leave the insecurity behind, if we would leave it all behind and we would walk in our identity of who we are in Jesus, it, it's hard to tell what kind of impact we could make as a church, not only in this community, but in this region, if we can just raise to the level of what God says about us and not the world says about us. And I want to let you know, church, there is gifts and callings on the inside of you, and all you need is a coach and a mentor to come along and pull it out of you. Pull it out of you. They can see things that you don't see. You see, what about it? What about it? Do you have somebody that can see what you cannot see? And sometimes I believe that in the church, that we have given out wrong prescriptions. And so therefore, we have given out wrong prescriptions because we have diagnosed the problem wrong. And so therefore, we never progress in God because we are treating something in our life that don't need to be treated. We have given ourselves the wrong diagnosis, so therefore we have the wrong prescription. And that is why it's important that you have the right doctor in your life. 
You have the right mentor in your life. You have the right coach in your life that can diagnose correctly and give you the right prescription. And sometimes we have listened to the world so much, they, listen, we have listened to the world so much, they have diagnosed us wrong, and they have given us the wrong prescription all these years, and we have been sick. And God is saying, listen, don't listen to the worldly doctors and mentors and coaches. i got somebody I can place in your life that can diagnose you correctly and give you the right prescription so you can be the healthy person I've created you to be. What about it? You see, I, I'm convinced, listen, Pastor, I'm convinced there's a difference between seasons and cycles in our life. Seasons are, are time-related. They, time, they change with time, while cycles change with you. And I'm convinced that some people get stuck in a cycle, and that cycle becomes a season. And God is saying, I have never meant for your cycle to become a season, but because you were unwilling to let somebody walk with you in your season, your season has now become a cycle and it's a rut that you have found yourself in. Don't let your season become a cycle. We come to this text tonight, what does this have to do? Jesus is a mentor. Jesus is the ultimate coach. And Jesus, get this, Jesus is wonderful because in Matthew, I want you to look at this. I think this is interesting. Jesus is the ultimate master teacher. He's the master coach. He is the master mentor. Get this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, and just hold your finger at Matthew 17, but I want you to see the context of what's going on. Matthew chapter number 10 and verse number 1. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number one, and when he had called the twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Now get this, before Matthew chapter 10, you'll notice that most of it is found in red because Jesus was teaching them, Jesus is teaching them, get this, Matthew chapter 4, it's all red. Matthew chapter 5, it's all red. Most of 6 is all red. 7, most of all of 7 is red. And you come to Matthew chapter 10, he taught them, and now he sends them out. Chapter 10. He sends them out and says, listen, you've already heard me teach, I've already trained you. Because that's what a good mentor does. A mentor does not send you out first. A mentor will train you first and then send you out. And Jesus is a good mentor. What does he do first? He trains them, he teaches them, and then in chapter 10, he anoints them and sends them out. Because that's what a good, that's what a good mentor does. In chapter 17, now they're faced with what Jesus anointed them to do. Jesus anointed them to cast out devils. Jesus anointed them to heal the sick. And now you come to Matthew chapter 17, and they failed. Did you hear me? They failed. Jesus taught them, Matthew chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, chapter 10, after he taught them, he sent them out. And then in chapter 17, they are now having opportunity because a good mentor 
will not only teach you, but they will train you, send you out, and they will give you an opportunity. So they are faced with an opportunity in Matthew chapter 17, and guess what happens? They lost the opportunity. Do you see what happens here? Verse number 16. Matthew chapter 17, verse 16. The boy's father complained and said, I brought my boy to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, my friends, did you see what I just said? Jesus taught them. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He sent him out in chapter 10, anointed him in chapter 10, said, He said to him, Go heal the sick, go raise the dead, go cast out devils. In chapter 17, they have an opportunity, but they missed it. They failed. They could not cast the devil out. Now, it was not the mentor's fault. It wasn't Jesus' fault. Jesus taught him, Jesus anointed him. Jesus gave an opportunity, but they missed it. They missed it. They could not do it. They could not do what Jesus anointed them to do. And the question is, is why couldn't they do it? And I, I've looked at this, and I'm convinced that the reason why they did not do it, it was because of several things. Number one, their perspective was wrong. Their motive was wrong. But also, I don't feel like they were engaged. They, they were not engaged to what Jesus was saying. They were familiar with Jesus. And that is why Jesus always had to take them aside and explain to them the mysteries of the kingdom because they were not engaged. That, that could be, an, I'm inferring on the text, but that could be a reason. They were familiar with Jesus. And I'm convinced that when God sends you somebody in your life to be a mentor, never take that person for granted and don't become so familiar with them and their voice that they lose a significant role in your life. They missed it. They wasn't engaged. They didn't see it. Their motive was wrong. They wasn't engaged. And you know what I believe that what Jesus is saying? Jesus said, Jesus said this, get this. This is powerful. Jesus said, the reason that you couldn't cast it out, he first rebukes them and say, you're a perverse generation, you're faithless. And then he says, this, time, this kind don't go out but by prayer and fasting. You know what Jesus is saying to the disciples? Jesus is saying this. What brought you to chapter 10 is not what's going to carry you to chapter 17. You're going to have to evolve in your relationship. I taught you, I trained you, but there's going to have to be an evolving of yourself. You're going to have to be intentional about this thing. What, what brought you to chapter 10 is not what's going to bring you to chapter 17. You, what you did last year is not what's going to bring you to this year. The Bible reading you did last year should increase this year and not decrease. You should be involved. You should be progressing. The disciples should be understanding that my relationship should be deepening with the Lord. I should understand the aspect of deepening my relationship with prayer and fasting and not just saying I could cast it out. It's not about casting devils out. It's about me evolving in my relationship with God through prayer and through fasting. Because what brought you to chapter 10 is not what's going to bring you to chapter 17. Can I hear an amen? What, what didn't make sense then might make sense now. 
You're either in chapter 10 or you're in chapter 17. But you've got to make a decision that you're going to evolve in Christ and make a progression in Christ. Number one, I want you to see in this story, I want you to see something about this Jesus who is a master teacher, a master mentor. Number one, Jesus took responsibility for something that wasn't his fault. Isn't that interesting? Jesus took responsibility for something that wasn't his fault. How do I know this? The, 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 the father said to Jesus, Jesus, I brought my son to you so that they could cure him, but they could not cure him. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew 17, verse 17, Matthew 17, verse 17, Jesus answered and said, O faithless, perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How shall I bear with you? Bring your baby, bring your son to me. My disciples were taught, my disciples were trained, but they can't do it. They can't do it. They failed the test. Bring your baby to me. Because, number one, Jesus takes responsibility for something that wasn't his fault. It's not his fault that the disciples could not cast the devil out. He taught his disciples. He did everything he could do. But get this, a true mentor and a true teacher, will know, they know a principle. That even though something is not their fault, it is still their responsibility. You hear what I said? True leaders understand a principle that even though it is not my fault, it is still my responsibility. I'm going to say that again. True leaders understand a principle. Even though it's not my fault, it is still my responsibility. You cannot effectively lead if you're blaming people. If you're blaming people for everything that's going on, you can't effectively lead anything. You can't effectively lead your house. You can't effectively lead your marriage, your church, your department. Whatever it may be, you can't effectively lead if you're always pointing the blame. You can't lead and blame at the same time. I'm going to say that again. You can't lead and blame at the same time. You've got to realize that whatever God has placed you in, whether it's at your job or your home or your family or your church, whatever area that God has you in, you've got to understand that if you're going to progress in God, that sometimes you've got to take responsibility for things that's not even your fault because you are a leader. And a leader cannot lead and blame at the same time. It may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. And Jesus rebuked him. He said, it's my responsibility. They're my boys. It's perverse. They're faithless. Bring them here. Why did Jesus say bring him here? Because it's my responsibility. Bring the baby here. Bring the boy here. And he cast the devil out. Sometimes I believe that we miss opportunity because of procrastination. Do you know what procrastination is? Procrastination is the assumption that you will always have another opportunity. And that's a lie from the devil. These disciples assumed that they would have another opportunity to cast the devil out. Never assume another opportunity. That's why you've got to be trained. You've got to have a coach and a mentor to train you to seize the opportunity when it's before you because you can miss it. Never assume you'll ever have another opportunity. You see, when you have access to greatness, don't ever expect greatness to adjust to you, but you adjust to greatness. I'm going to say that again. When you have access to greatness, don't ever expect greatness to adjust to you, but you adjust to greatness. If you have a mentor in your life, 
Don't expect the mentor to adjust to your schedule. You adjust your schedule to the mentor. Is there anybody that can help me out in this Presbyterian church tonight? If you really want to grow, and I'm just joking with you, I love the Presbyterians. You get my point. I love them. You get my point. When there's somebody in your life, don't ask them to adjust to you. You adjust to them. And that's the same here. The disciples had to adjust to Jesus, not Jesus adjusting to the disciples. And that is what a true mentor is. You know you want to be mentored when you adjust your schedule to make time to be mentored by the mentor, not the ment mentor adjusting his schedule for the mentee. That is not how it works in Scripture. Number two, you see that Jesus is not passive-aggressive. It's interesting to me that in the church, people walk in passive-aggressiveness. You ever notice that? People walk in passive-aggressiveness. They'll, they'll give you the silent treatment. So if you don't do what they want, they, they cut you off, they're silent. And you always got to walk in eggshells to try to figure out, am I good with you or am I bad with you? Do you like me or you don't like me? And maybe you find that in marriage or at, maybe you work with somebody that's passive-aggressive. Or you ever met somebody that just kind of throws you pot shots and you kind of feel like it's directed to you, but you don't know if it's directed to you or not? Or they throw a joke out and you kind of feel like it's directed to you, but you don't know if it's directed to you? Or they're very sar sarcastic and, and yet they're trying to jab a point to you and you never know, are they having a good day or having a bad day? Do I walk on eggshells? Or, you know, how, am I good with you? I mean, you ever wonder about that people? And those people don't even see it. They just say this, I have boundaries. No, you have walls. You don't have boundaries, you've got walls. And people use those things because they've been hurt so much, they put walls up to try to protect themselves. And so passive aggressiveness comes off. And I want to say something, if you're going to be under leadership or now, when I talk about leadership or what I'm talking about tonight, this goes in every area of your life. Marriage, it goes in church, it goes in family, because we're all leaders somewhere. You're a leader at your house, you're a leader in your job, maybe you're a leader here, it goes everywhere. You influence somebody. And, and the thing of it is about Jesus is this, Jesus is not passive-aggressive. You know why I know that? Because Matthew 17, verse 17, Jesus was very clear. He's straightforward. You know what he said? You are a perverse and faithless generation. Jesus did not pull any punches. He's very honest about how he felt about what the disciples did. And I want to let you know that the reason why some leaders can't be trusted is because they're not honest. If there's one characteristic that I desire in a leader or I desire in anyone that's leading me or anybody that's leading you, it should be honesty. Just tell me how you feel because if I know you're honest, I could trust you. Jesus wasn't passive aggressive. And I pray in the name of Jesus that if you have passive aggressiveness on your life, if your spouse has to walk on eggshells because they don't know whether you're having a good day or a bad day or whether you're joking about it or not, stop it. Stop it. Grow up and just be honest and tell the truth. Thank God for the five people that agree with Pastor Josh tonight. I said just stop it. Grow up and be a man of God and a woman of God and share the truth in love. Just share the truth in love. 
Because when you share the truth in love, you are gentle and you are strong. Gentle and strong. Mercy and truth. Don't be passive-aggressive. Don't, do, don't use underlining tones. Just say what you mean and mean what you say and do it in a spirit of love. Can I hear an amen? Number three. The disciples were not trying to impress the one that they were called to learn from. Isn't that interesting? The disciples were raw with the Lord. They admitted they couldn't do it. Everybody admitted around them that they couldn't do it. They wasn't trying to impress Jesus. If you're going to learn from somebody, don't impress them. You're not called to impress the person that you're learning from. You can be open and vulnerable with them. They wasn't trying to impress the one that they were called to learn from. You see, it was one conversation that Jesus had, and the conversation was this. This does not come out but by prayer and fasting. And guess what? One conversation changed their life. One conversation. Do you realize that one conversation could change somebody's life? Maybe you're having an issue with someone. One conversation could change their life. Just taking a step and having a conversation could change their life. One of the great things about mentorship with the disciples is this. The disciples, were, were ha they were having an education without the expense. And that's what mentorship is. You are learning from somebody that paid the tuition bill. You don't have to go to school. They went to school. They are giving you the information for free. And that is a wonderful thing by mentorship. And I, I'm asking this church to hook up with somebody that you trust. Hook up with somebody that you love. Hook up with somebody that you respect. And let them speak into your life. Let them walk with you on this journey because it has great benefits. Mentorship is education without the expense. That's what it is. They paid the bill and you're getting it for free. Number four, one of the things I see in this story is that you must see who he sends. You must see who he sends. The disciples, and let's, let's use the Pharisees. The Pharisees and Sadducees did not see who God sent. Say that again. The Pharisees and religious leaders of the day did not see who God sent. Let me say it again. The religious leaders of the day did not see who God sent. And there are times that the disciples did not see who God sent. Jesus said, Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter, by the revelation of God, said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Peter saw who God sent. Judas did not see who God sent. And sometimes I believe that the greatest opportunities of our life is missed because we don't see who God is sending in our life. We don't see it. And that is why I believe that in prayer, one of the things that I pray is, Lord, open my eyes to see what I cannot see. Open my heart to discern what I do not discern. Open my spirit to things that I do not see. Open my eyes up to my blind spots. Lord, give me a teachable, humble, submissive, pure spirit. 
Lord, break me, mold me, shape me, break me, bend me, mold me into the person that you want me to be. Decrease me that you can increase in my life. Don't let me miss opportunities because I'm unwilling to see it. You must see who he sends. You must see who he sends. He did not recognize. They did not recognize who God revealed to them. You see, I'm convinced that the disciples didn't really understand who Jesus was. Do you really believe? Do you really believe? Those 12 disciples knew that Jesus was God in human flesh. Those disciples were Jews. And those Jews worshipped one God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. They were not convinced that Jesus was God in human flesh in the bodily form. They did not see what God was doing until after he was resurrected. And sometimes we, we don't see who God sins in our life. You see, you see, what am I saying? I'm saying that whether you're working a secular job, whether you're working at the church, whether you volunteer at the church, whether you're a husband or a father, whether you have a secular business, this applies to all of us. Because all of us is called to impart to somebody. Older women is called to impart to younger women. Older men is called to mentor younger men. Small group leaders is called to mentor people. All of us is called to take people under our wing and let them walk the journey with us. And I believe that what we can learn from this story, because Jesus is the master teacher, Jesus is the master mentor, we can learn from this story, number one, that Jesus took responsibility for things that wasn't even his fault. You know why? Because that's what a true leader does. A true leader does not lead and blame at the same time. A true leader may say, it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility. I'm going to do something about it. Number two, you see in the story that Jesus wasn't passive-aggressive. Jesus didn't give an underlining message to the disciples. He was very honest and very clear. He said, this is a perverse and faithless generation, and it could not come out but by prayer and fasting. He was very honest, and that's what leaders are, are very honest. Now, honest with love. You can say things in love. Sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You say it in love. Be strong and gentle at the same time. Number three, number three, The disciples were not trying to impress the person that they were called to learn from. If God has connected you to somebody, don't try to impress them. Just learn from them. Don't don't have them to adjust their schedule for your schedule. You adjust your schedule for their schedule because it's a principle found in Scripture. The disciples adjusted their lives for greatness. They adjusted their life. for Jesus didn't adjust. Jesus, the mentor, did not adjust his life for them. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you leave everything behind and follow me. You adjust your life if you really want to learn from me. And that's what the lie of the devil is. You can do it yourself. You don't need nobody. And you're falling in the trap of the devil. It's the spirit of pride. I can do it myself. I don't need nobody. I don't need, no, I don't, I need, I don't need to confess it to nobody. I, I got it all under control. That's exactly where the devil deceives the body of Christ. You can't do it, folks. Number four, you must see who he sends. Now, in closing the last three minutes, if you are praying 
that God would bring somebody in your life, what type of person do you need? Number one, you need a person of character. A person of character. Look for somebody that's full of character. Now, why is character important? Because character, this is important, their character can become your crisis. Say that again. Their character can become your crisis. So if you are hooked up with somebody that's emotional and passive-aggressive and manipulative, you will live in a state of crisis all the time. You need somebody that is spiritually stronger than you are, that's spiritually more mature than you are, that's spiritually more healthy than you are. Two sick people walking together is not a healthy relationship. A sick pastor trying to pastor a church, that's not good. You see what I'm saying? You need a person of character because their character can become your crisis and you will take on the reflection of the person that is speaking into your life. You cannot be completed by somebody if you are competing with them. And, and that's, you see that in the church. People say, well, I'm, I, I'm listening to my pastor, but I'll, at the same time, we're trying to outdo people. And that's not mentorship. Mentorship is sitting at the feet of somebody and learning and not trying to compete with somebody and trying to out-preach somebody or trying to out-sing somebody or trying to outdo somebody. It's having a teachable spirit saying, whatever you have, I want to have. And the mentor should have the attitude that I want you to do it greater than I ever done it. I want you to preach better than I could ever preach. I want you to sing better than I could ever sing. I want you to do it better. If a, if a mentor is really following God and understands mentorship, they want you to do it better than they could ever do it. And an insecure leader will always feel like they are in com competition with somebody that they are mentoring because they're afraid that person might get more glory than they get glory. And that's unhealthy. That's unhealthy. Number two, not only do you need a person of character, but you need a person of competency. In other words, you need a person that knows how to do the skill. You see, listen to me, church. I want you to write this down. You can be successful, but that doesn't mean you are safe. Successful people doesn't equate safeness. And just because you know how to do the job doesn't mean you are qualified to teach it. There are some people that can preach the paint off the walls. Some people can pastor real good. There are some people I've met, and I'm like, I would love to be like you, but they don't have the ability to teach it. They know how to do it, but they don't know how to teach it. And it takes somebody with a gifting that knows how to do it and to teach it, and not only to teach it, but allow the other person to do it without you feeling like you're in competition. It takes a special person like that. How many knows this is good preaching right now? Are you learning? So, not only character, but competency. Competency. Everybody say competency. Number three, chemistry. In other words, not only the skill, not only the character, but chemistry. Do they know how to work with people? Listen, do you know that 80% of jobs are hired because of, of 
personality and 20% of its skill. If you walk into a... I was reading an article one time about somebody hiring somebody and it talked about how this person went in, they were doing a, this test and they went in and they dressed with jeans and a hat on and, you know, kind of just casual and they interviewed for the job and they didn't get the job. You know, a few weeks later, a few months later, they came in and dressed up and presented themselves well and was very confident and a firm handshake. They got the job because there's something about chemistry. There's something about warmth. There's something about personality. And people say, well, it doesn't matter. God sees my heart. That's, that's the problem. I'm not God. That's the problem. I'm not trying to reach God. I'm trying to reach people. And if your personality stinks, your chances of having chemistry is, is, is not good. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get God get saved. God's already saved. I'm trying to get people. People look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That's exactly right. I'm not God. I can't look at your heart. So having somebody with chemistry, somebody that's warm, I'm not talking about an extrovert or an introvert. I'm talking about a person that knows how to work well with people. Conflict is not bad. They know how to navigate and they know how to work with conflict. They don't run from conflict. They know how to work with conflict. They know how to resolve conflict. And the last one is culture. Culture. Somebody that understands culture. Somebody that understands culture. Listen, there are people that's full of character. They are who they say they are. Awesome. There's people that have, uh, there's people that have competency. They know how to, they have the skill. They can do it. There's people that they have the chemistry. They, they're, they're people. They know how to relate to people. They know how to work well with people. But do we understand culture? Culture is the unsaid things of the atmosphere, basically. Do you know how to discern the atmosphere? Do you know how to create an atmosphere of hospitality? Do you know how to create an atmosphere that's welcoming? One of the things that we do at this church is have a five-minute rule where you go around, shake hands. Why do we do that? Do we do it to take up time? No. We do it because it's culture, culture, culture. It creates a warmth. It creates family. It creates togetherness. It creates unity. We got to understand and discern there are some things we do, not because of tradition, it's because it forms a culture. And you don't want to be mentored by somebody that don't know how to form a culture. It's kind of like going to grandma's house. Things are unsaid. When I go to grandma's house, there's, you know, my grandma, I'm talking about my grandma, there was hot rolls and apple pie and chocolate pie and, you know, I mean, there was food at the table and Sunday dinners and, you know, the culture was go to the refrigerator, help yourself, eat anything you want, stay up as long as you want. This is grandma's house. And my grandma always told me, baby, you're looking really thin. And I wasn't thin. I was gaining weight every year, but she thought I was getting thin. And she always wanted me. That was the culture that she made. The culture was let's eat. Let me love on you. That's the culture. She didn't have to tell me she loved me. I knew she loved me. And a true person who knows leadership knows how to form a culture. And do you know you can form a culture in your marriage? You can form a culture with your children. You can form a culture at your workplace. 
when you go to work, are they afraid that you're passive aggressiveness? What kind of culture do you create when you walk in the room? When you walk in the room, is it here am I or there you are? You create a culture. Everywhere you go, you are a walking message system. You create a culture, whether you like it or not. These are the people. Now, obviously, we need somebody who's born again in spirit field, who loves Jesus, who's walking holiness. That's understood. But these are four principles I think is very vital to anybody that would speak into our life. Now, in closing, I've said all of this to say this, is that just because somebody is successful doesn't mean they are safe. And you've got to have the Holy Spirit to reveal to you who He sends to you in your life. And that's what I love. I love, I am not the best mentor. I really am not. And that's not, I'm not, that's not an underlining statement. I'm just not. I have lots of falls, lots of failures. I'm broken. There's things I, I get aggravated. But I have a heart to speak into people, to love people, to give people an opportunity, to give people chances, and to give people opportunity to love people, to believe in people, to see the gold that's inside of people. I want to do that because that's what somebody did for me. And it has the potential to change your life. Somebody asked Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, what is, what, what should I do with my life? Where should I go from here, Mother? How can I change the world, Mother? You know, Mother Teresa was four foot nine inches. She wasn't very tall. She was a, she was a Carmelite nun in Calcutta, India, who served many, many years serving the poor, teaching Jesus. One time they asked her, how are you going to build that orphanage? You, got, you just got one penny. And Mother Teresa said, well... One penny plus Jesus equals an orphanage. It was a, she, was a, she was a great woman of faith. Great woman of faith. They asked her, Mother, how, I, I want to change the world. How can I change the world? She, she, you know, she had that bent over back, hump back. She, she leaned up. She said, go home and love your family. Let's start with our family first. Let's start with our wives our children, our husband. Let's start there first. Then let's go to the church. Let's honor our wife. Listen, there is, a be, there is a fool and a king inside of me. And whichever one you talk to is the one that's going to respond. So if you talk to your spouse like he's a fool, the fool will respond. But if you talk to him like he's a king, the king will respond. In every woman, there's a fool and a queen. And whoever you speak to will be the one that will respond. Let's start at the home first. Let's start with our wife and our kids and our husband. Let's love them the way Jesus tells us to. Wives, I'm asking you, love your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Let's get rid of this passive aggressiveness. Let's walk in the spirit of unity. Let's walk in the spirit of honesty. Let's walk in gentleness and strength. Let's love our children. Let's not provoke them to wrath, but love them the way the Scripture tells us to love them. Let's love our leaders 
Let's come together and grab our hands together and walk in the spirit of unity, understanding one principle that your pastor is telling you tonight. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you I need to be your mentor. I'm your pastor. But I am telling you don't do life alone. I am telling you don't think that you can do it by yourself. I am telling you don't think that you can solve your problems by yourself. I am asking you, let somebody walk the journey with you. And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed what God will do in and through your life. Now, that's what I got out of Matthew 17. You could get something else out of it, but hopefully you learned the word tonight. Can somebody praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Come on, somebody praise the Lord tonight. Now, before we go home, how many would say, Pastor, there's a yearning in my heart to have somebody in my life that the Lord would show me or then I would progress with God. I know I ask you to come to the front all the time, but there's something about just acknowledging, being aware of it. Could we just come to the front as we sing and say, Pastor, it is me. I don't want to leave tonight without acknowledging that I want to go forward. Can we say amen tonight? Hallelujah. Would we stand? Come on, church, stand to your feet tonight. Could you get out of your seat and say, it's, I, 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 I want to do it. Hallelujah. I, I desire to do whatever God wants me to do. Be whatever God wants me to be. Hallelujah. I just felt the Spirit said, there's at least two of you that the Spirit has called you to preach and you have disobeyed the voice for years and years and years. But as I was preaching, you felt a quickening of the Spirit to respond to the call of God. Now, I'm not going to prolong the service, but if that is you tonight and you felt the call of God on your life, and you not have not obeyed the call of God, would you step forward in the count of three? Just step forward on the count of three. Say, Pastor, it is me. I have not responded to the call of God, and I want to respond to the call of God. Would you step right here on the count of three? One, two, three. Step forward. Step forward. I, I felt the call to preach years ago, years ago, and I have disobeyed the voice, but I feel it tonight. Quickly come. Is there somebody else? There's at least two tonight. Hold on one second. There's at least two. There's somebody else. I feel the wooing of the Spirit tonight. Would you come? Would you come? See, there's a call of God on my life, and I have not necessarily followed it, but there's a pull in my heart to follow it. And if you would come right now and acknowledge it, let me pray over you. Could we do that in Jesus' name? Let's just wait on the Lord. Is there anybody else? Quickly come and stand right beside of my brother here, if that is you tonight. Amen. Amen. Let's just wait on the Lord. Is there any tonight? Is there any? Say, this is me. I, I felt the call, and I have not necessarily followed it, but I feel an unction of the Spirit that maybe uh, I need to follow it. Amen. Is there somebody else? Amen. Amen. Would the elders and pastoral staff and some of you come? All right, would you begin to sing tonight? Amen. Father, I lay my hands upon my brother tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. If this is your call, if this is your voice that we hear, then I pray 
God, that you would confirm it to my brother. Confirm it to my brother. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, that his ears would be open and his heart would be receptive. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would confirm it, Lord, by two or three witnesses, that our ears would be open and that our heart would be open, that we would receive it tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you. Hallelujah. There is nothing your love. There is nothing like your love. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, I can't get out of No, I can't get Oh, hallelujah. Well, don't, don't reject it any longer. Just say, Lord, I'll go. I'll do it. If the opportunity arises, I'll do exactly what you want me to do. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, the Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Confirm it to my sister, I pray, that her ears and her hearts are open to receive tonight. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late, Carol. Would you lift your hands and say, there's nobody like you, Jesus? I just want to be. just want to be where you are. I want to be where you are, Lord. Is there somebody that's saying, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, that God would send somebody in my life. Would you come quickly and stand right here? Come on, stand right here. Say, I want somebody in my life. Hallelujah. Come on, raise your hands there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Larry, Pastor Larry, come here. Hallelujah. I just sense the Holy Spirit for Brother and Sister Hartman. And I just feel like the Spirit, and you know I never, hardly ever say 
anything prophetically to you, but I just sense that as you come forward, this is what I in, feel impressed of the Spirit and sense of the Spirit, that the days of your ministry, it's, it's not over. But I want to say that I admire both of your hearts because you're so faithful. You've been in ministry for years. You've pastored for years. You're so faithful. And we have others as faithful as well. But I'm just telling you what's on my heart tonight. And I want you to be encouraged tonight that your steps are directed by the Lord. And you just bless my heart tonight. Here, you've been a pastor's wife for so many years. And now you're coming to the front and saying, I want to grow more. I want somebody to speak into my life. I'm going to tell you, Sister Judy, that's inspirational for you to be a pastor's wife and now come to the front and say, I don't want to stop growing. And that's what happens sometimes. We stop growing. We get in a rut. We think that we've arrived. We think we know it all. And I'm telling you, God blesses those who have a teachable heart and an open heart willing to receive. I want to go to God with open hands, not a closed fist. Can I hear an amen? I'll say, whatever you want from me, whoever you want to send in my life to speak to me, it, it may not be what I like, may not be what I want to hear, but I want to grow and I want to be all that I can be. Amen. Would you stretch your hands forth to this couple? Hallelujah. It's going to happen. Just like you prayed, it's going to happen. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. Yes, Lord. Yes. Hallelujah. Jesus, you love you. Come on, let's sing it together. I want to be where you're at. I just want to be. Hallelujah. Now, I'm reminded in the book of Ezra. Do you remember the story in the book of Ezra? The Bible says that when they rebuilt the temple, 
that there was so much crying and so much shouting, you couldn't discern who was crying and shouting. And the scripture says the older generation wept because they remember the former temple. And the younger generation started to shout because they knew that God kept his promise. Did you hear me? And when they came together and saw the temple rebuilt, the older generation started to cry and the younger generation started to shout and you couldn't even discern between the generations. And I believe that's what God wants to do here at Christ Point. He wants to merge both generations together. The older generation and the younger generation. We're not trying to build an older church or a younger church or a white church or a Latino church. We're trying to build the church. And the church is composed of all races and colors and ethnicities. And before we go home, I want somebody older to go find somebody younger. Now, this might get tricky because you might say, well, how old are you? <laughs> so guess what? Don't, don't ask, don't tell. Just, just, just go. <laughs> just go and find somebody that appears to be older. Or <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> All right, go find somebody. The older generation, younger generation, find somebody, and I want you to greet them in the Lord and pray for them. Just, just find somebody. Get out of your seat. Go find somebody younger. Older generation, find somebody younger. The newer generation, younger generation, find somebody. Come on, somebody, find somebody. Oh, Jesus. 
I pray that whatever is in him would not be destroyed, but it would come forth and flourish and grow. Let the angels of God encamp around about him and protect him, I pray, and strengthen him beyond his human imagination. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Jesus, I love you. Wanna be where you are. Just wanna be where you are. There is nothing like your love. Can everybody shout a big amen? Did you enjoy being in the house of God today? Said, so did you enjoy being in the house of God today? Listen, just quick announcements. Don't forget, listen, I feel, and this comes from my heart, I feel like that we can break record attendance on Wednesday night. Let's all come. 5.30, let's have dinner. If you can't be there, classes from 6.30 to 7.20. And uh, in, at the, the book table, there's pamphlets, or at the next point booth table, there's pamphlets about the classes. And if you feel like you missed the class, listen, it's getting ready to start again in a few weeks. We're going to teach the same classes over again. So I want everybody, let's try to come Wednesday night, bring your kids. We've been having great attendance, but let's not slack this time, all right? So 5.30 dinner, 6.30 classes, and then next Sunday morning at 10, and then, of course, next Sunday night is small groups, all right? I love you guys. And appreciate you so much. We've had a wonderful day. I pray that you go be blessed of the Lord. And I bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said a great big, you're dismissed tonight. Oh, oh, oh. We're singing. Oh.